Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, prepping for Apple's iPhone day and how the financial crisis set the stage for today's political climate. But first, the public fight over going public. It used to be that most technology companies followed the same path, come up with an idea, try to raise some money from venture capitalists, and then if the company and the product took hold, do an initial public offering, or IPO, on the NASDAQ or New York Stock Exchange. And it's what a lot of today's top tech companies did, including Amazon and Google, neither of which raised even a couple hundred million dollars in venture capital. But in the wake of the financial crisis, fewer and fewer companies have been going public. And that originally worried economists who believed that going public gave companies increased stability, which led to increased employment. Plus, it let a broader group of people invest, thus theoretically increasing wealth, not just for venture capitalists, but for normal, everyday folks. So Congress and President Obama passed something called the JOBS Act, which was an acronym for Jumpstart Our Business Startups. It basically streamlined the IPO process, letting companies work out a bunch of their kinks in private. But it didn't actually work when you look at statistics. For starters, it also included a smaller provision that not enough people paid attention to that effectively let private startups have as many shareholders as they wanted, rather than having to stick to a previous limit of 500, which is something that actually had helped push Google to go public. Second, it came at a time when lower interest rates caused all sorts of new money to flood into startup investing, like mutual funds and hedge funds and sovereign wealth funds. The result was that companies like Airbnb and Uber began staying private even longer than they were before. So now regulators are back again with Trump's SEC chairman Jay Clayton weighing new proposals. But this time, they aren't so much aimed at bringing more companies public as they are about letting mom and pop investors participate in still private startups. The bottom line here is it could make the stock markets even more sparse than they currently are and create a pretty fundamental change to America's economic structure. But before we get to Liz, let me tell you about some exciting things we have going on at Axios. So we are excited to add two more newsletters to the Axios newsletter family. And the first is Axios Edge, launching this Sunday night. It's written by Felix Salmon and will cover the big stories that will drive the business world the following week. And on Friday, September 21st, we launch Axios Autonomous Vehicles, a weekly analysis of autonomous and self-driving tech and its impact on cities and the economy. You can subscribe to both Axios Edge and Axios AV at signup.axios.com. We're joined by Liz Beyer, co-founder of Class 5 Group, who is probably best known for helping Google go public back in 2004 and who reportedly is working with Lyft on its upcoming IPO, even though she's not going to talk to us about it. So, Liz, let's start with the good news, or at least good news for IPO people, which seems we're after Labor Day. It seems there's about to be a bunch of companies coming, correct? There absolutely are. No one will be bored in the investment community for the next couple months. I'm curious, is this simply the Labor Day to Thanksgiving period where we often see a boom in activity because people are back from vacation? Or is there something about a couple folks go and then that builds on itself? Oh, it's both. First of all, the folks who are coming this quarter, they've been working on this since last March, April, May. Nobody decides to go public on Monday and then hits the road on Wednesday. It's a six to nine month preamble ahead of time. But I think for the last maybe two and a half years, we've had a market and that was so anxious, sort of rapidly growing equity opportunities. And there just weren't any because leading up to the election in 2016, and then maybe for six, eight months afterwards, nobody 
was brave enough to start on the IPO process. Then we had a couple of guys go and do quite well. And I think it was watching other companies, particularly SaaS-based businesses, and of course also biotech, although I spend more of my time on the tech side. But you saw some of the SaaS businesses go and be uh, warmly greeted by the markets, and that encouraged other boards of directors to say, okay, let's you know wave that green flag. And then it's also what you just said, there is always a lull probably throughout the month of August with people targeting flipping to public, you know, right before so they can hit the road right after Labor Day. One of the companies that went right after the inauguration was Snap. And and that was kind of the first, call it kind of DECA unicorn, really big consumer facing name that had gone for a while. It was a pretty successful IPO, but the stock has gotten absolutely hammered. It was under 10 bucks a share at the last check. Did that freak people out, the aftermarket performance of Snap? It did in the consumer internet space. Flashback 20 seconds, I was talking about we had a lot of SaaS-based companies going. We haven't until now seen the consumer-based companies going, and that's partially because Snap and Blue Apron, which were the two sort of very familiar Oh, God, I forgot about Blue Apron, yeah. Yeah, not so popular in terms of results for investors, and so consumer internet companies have been lying low. Also, frankly, there's been so much private money pouring in that they haven't needed to go. But now, again, you know, Q3, whatever we're in, Q4, Q4 of um, this year, and we've got on the road, we've got Eventbrite, and we've got SurveyMonkey that's flipped, and so suddenly there are names that people know. Here's hoping that friendly consumer names do a little better than the more recent ones. That was the plus side about a bunch of stuff that's coming to market, but in general, the SEC, regulators, and, and when you look at the statistics, we have a relatively small number of companies going public considering kind of the potential pipeline, right? The successful companies that have a lot of VC money who are kind of a little long in the tooth, and you've got Jay Clayton and others at the SEC proposing to basically let mom and pop investors start investing in startups. Good idea? Bad idea? I must bite my tongue here and try to say only politely. You don't need to. Does anybody remember me, VC? Disastrous idea. First of all, when you let mom and pop investors invest in private companies, they're not really private anymore, right? What makes a company suitable for mom and pop? It's when mom and pop can actually get access to some information about them. And generally speaking, when there's a liquid market, although presumably mom and pop are smart enough to figure out the difference between a liquid security and one that doesn't trade, but who knows? So letting individuals ride the wave because they've read about a couple of deals that did incredibly well. It's such a recipe for disaster. Uh, you and I were joking, you know, at least via email, that Shoot, the Jobs Act was meant to create jobs. This act will create jobs for plaintiffs' attorneys. It's just it's a it's a disaster waiting to happen when you have people who just don't quite have enough information jumping in because they hear private companies are a great thing to invest in because the private investors aren't going to let the public in early enough or in the best opportunities. It's only when they're done funding them that there will be room for mom and pop. Does it matter, broadly speaking, economically speaking, does it matter that there aren't as many IPOs or is people trying to find a solution to something that's not actually a problem? No, it's a real problem. And there is a layup solution, and that is reinstate the 500 shareholder rule, because that allowed individuals to participate in rapid growth companies when they were still in the rapid growth phase. And for those who don't know, the the 500 shareholder rule simply said when you have 500 shareholders, you have to share your financial information with them concurrently. And many companies use that as a catalyst to go public, although there was no forcing function. But yeah, it does matter. Like the purpose of a public market is so the public can participate, and it's not just the, you know, high net worth individuals or the VC funds or the pension funds. The stock market is kind of one of those things that has been a driver of all parts of the economy, and it does matter. But the solution is not to let individuals invest in illiquid, really unknown companies that they know by reputation, but they don't have access to the information. Thank you very much, Liz Beyer. My final two after this. 
Axios Chief Technology Correspondent Ina Fried shares breaking news and analysis on the most consequential companies and players in tech, from the Valley to D.C. Subscribe to Get Smarter Faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the ProRata Podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is the annual Apple event, which takes place tomorrow in Silicon Valley. It's the day where tons of reporters pack into an auditorium, hear about the latest iPhones and other Apple gizmos, and then get to play with some of them. It is, in short, tech's most brilliant free marketing ploy. So we'll be sure to hear about new iPhone models. But Axios's Ina Fried writes this morning to also be on the lookout for two other things. First is new hardware, such as a wireless charging station that Apple previewed last year. And then there's content. So Apple's already unveiled a few piecemeal moves to compete with Netflix and Amazon and content like a deal with Oprah, but we don't yet have a clue how it all works together. Tomorrow, we might get that answer. Also, this Saturday is the 10th anniversary of Lehman Brothers going bankrupt, thus kicking off the financial crisis. And Andrew Ross Sorkin writes in the New York Times today about how that event really set the stage for much of today's politics on both the right with things like the Tea Party, which led to President Trump, and on the left with Occupy Wall Street, which led to people like Elizabeth Warren and the elevation of Bernie Sanders, Sorkin's bottom line is, quote, it also broke a sense of trust, not just in financial institutions and the government that oversaw them, but in the very idea of experts and expertise, end quote. And obviously today there's one other much sadder anniversary to note. It has been 17 years since thousands of people were murdered in New York, D.C. and Pennsylvania. So please take a moment to think about them and their families, plus the thousands still suffering today from illnesses related to those horrific events. We'll be back tomorrow with another ProRata podcast.